We continue our work on our theme of 2011, how in the world, how does Christianity work in the real world? Go to this one. Okay, we're having a little mic trouble today, so we will turn that off. Try to stay close to this one. What was our theme this year? How in the world, that's it. How in the world does Christianity work? And we've been through a number of things. Uh, talked about our work life, our leisure life. We just finished a session about our trials and tribulations. How do all the things that we learn in the Bible, we talk about on Sunday, all of that, how does that apply in the, the real world? I hope you recognize that last verse of that song we just sang. That was our key verse for trials and tribulations. Uh, God said, do not fear, for I am with you. Uh, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Uh, hopefully we got that one and learned we apply that in our trials and tribulations. Our current series is the biblical foundation of marriage and family. Uh, our question is, how in the world can a marriage survive? How can a marriage survive in this world? How can a family thrive in this world, in the society where things are so difficult for both marriage and the family? Does the Bible have some good advice for that? Does the Bible have guidelines that uh, will make that work in the real world? Last week we looked at the current state of marriage and family and decided that it was pretty pitiful. The foundations have been crumbling. Uh, we concluded that we need to rebuild the foundation. We need to go back to the beginning. So we went back to the beginning and looked at Genesis 2, uh, where God said what marriage was supposed to be like. Uh, he, he talked about in Genesis, we're not going to go back through all of it or read it, but we found out how marriage was supposed to be in the beginning. I think, because uh, in uh, Matthew, uh, when he was asked to get into that controversy about what about this and how about this and what happens when divorce and all that, he didn't answer the question. Some men may not be able to do. Physically, uh, they may be handicapped in some way. They may not be able to. Geographically, they might be, not be able to. Their work or service to the country or something may take them away uh, where women have to do more of these roles. But I think these three things are at the very heart of biblical masculinity. All right, let's go. First, a real man will want to lead. Okay? Now, I know I'm in trouble already because that's a difficult word. When some people say lead or hear lead, they think, ah, he's talking domineering. He's talking domination. He's telling women everything to do. And some people hear it and say, ah, he's talking about servant leadership. He's talking about Christ-like leadership. So I know everybody hears different things. But from the creation story, I hope you can see that God expected Adam to lead. So at the very heart of biblical manhood, a real man will want to lead. A man should feel the responsibility of leadership. Now, biblical leadership is all about the strength 
to serve somebody else, to sacrifice for somebody else. That's what you're, we, we can understand a few things about leadership that might help you understand what I'm saying here. Those of you that worked in the business world and all that, have, and you know that a good leader doesn't come into a meeting or come into an organization or whatever to show their superiority. A good leader utilizes the strengths of everyone around him. You guys that have been out in the world enough, you know that. He's a good leader. He's a bad leader. Okay. A good biblical man leader doesn't show their superiority. They, they utilize the wife's input, the, the children's input even. They listen. A good leader doesn't have to initiate or decide everything. A good leader sets the general pattern. A good leader makes sure we're on track. A good leader accepts the responsibility, the burden of making the final decision when it's necessary. And this is key now, men. Listen to this. A husband ought to listen to input. A husband ought to often surrender what he thinks is best to what somebody else thinks is best in situations where it's not make or break the family. But when it's a key point, when it's about the direction spiritually or financially or morally of the family, the man takes the responsibility of making the call. He feels the responsibility to lead the family. A leader, a biblical leader, disciplines the children. Now, I know sometimes both parents are not present, and if the woman's there by herself, she has to do that. But when both parents are present, no woman should ever have to take responsibility to discipline a disobedient child while the husband sits there oblivious like it's nothing matters. It does matter. God said, fathers, train up your children. The children need to see that leadership. They need to understand that gender role. Men need to take that leadership step. Let me read you a quote from James Dobson about America's greatest need. He says, a Christian man is obligated to lead his family to the best of his ability. If his family has purchased too many items on credit, then the financial crunch is ultimately his fault. If the family never reads the Bible or seldom goes to church on Sunday, God holds the man to blame. If the children are disrespectful and disobedient, primary responsibility lies with the father, not his wife. In my view, America's greatest need is for husbands to begin guiding their families. The heart of biblical manhood a man will lead. Second, a real man will want to provide for his family. Now, this is another difficult topic because our workforce has flipped in this country. There's more women than men working in the workforce. A lot of studies show that women make more than men in a lot of areas. Now, when I talk about work and all that, I understand all women work. 
they have a, a homemaking responsibility, a, a nurturing responsibility if they have children. So, so everybody works, whether in the home or out of the home. But some women want to work out of the home. I understand that. And some women have to work outside the home. I understand that. Not near as much as we think we do sometimes. All sorts of studies show that by the time you pay for all the extra child care and gas and clothes and everything else, you're losing money. You'd stay home and manage the home, you'd have more money. But I understand all that. I understand that both man and woman may have to work. I understand they both may agree. Let's, let's work, both work for a while for this special goal. Let's, let's get out of debt. Let's pay this off. Let's provide for this. Let's you can do them way differently if you want. But what I want you to understand is the farther away we get from the plan, the more troubles we have. Because that's not the way we were created. It's not the nature of manhood and womanhood to start changing those roles. Let me read you a quote by J.I. Packer, good biblical scholar. He said, while I'm not keen on hierarchy and patriarchy as terms to describe the man-woman relationship in Scripture, Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5 continue to convince me that the man-woman relationship is intrinsically non-reversible. By this I mean, other things being equal, a situation in which a female boss has a male secretary, or a marriage in which the woman, as we say, wears the trousers, will put more strain on the humanity of both parties than if it were the other way around. This is part of the reality of the creation, a given fact that nothing will change. Okay. Now, you may not like that position. You may not like what Mr. Packer said there. I promised you last week this one and the next sermon would be unpopular. But I also promised you they would be biblical. It would be consistent with the biblical concept of God's design. Biblical manhood, we should be able to figure out from the creation. The closer we stay to that concept, the better we will be at rebuilding the foundations of marriage and family. All right, we've got two blocks of our foundation now. Uh, we've got the biblical foundation of marriage, the nature of marriage, and the nature of manhood. Next time, we're going to tackle the nature of womanhood. Now, that's a subject I am uniquely unqualified to discuss. But fortunately, I've got a divine standard that tells me what womanhood was intended to be. So we'll tackle that next time together. Thank you for your attention. The lesson is yours. If you're here this morning and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we always take time to sing a song and invite anyone who has a public need to come to the front. If that's you today, please come. Let's stand and sing.